0: This is Theron, and welcome to another episode of Michigan Hidden History. Today we will be talking about the city of Birmingham. Before we get started, do not forget to rate and review the show on Apple and rate the show on Spotify. Um, sorry about last week. Um, my school schedule, I'm trying to spend less time there because I'm getting um, no time to do whatever I want to do, and I'm getting really exhausted at the end of the day. So I'm trying to spend less time there and as I do, I'll be able to do the podcast more. Um, so I want to have more of my time instead of spending time at school. So that is going to be the case and I'm going to try really hard to come here on time so I can uh, write, research, write, and re- record a podcast. So. If you don't hear from me from a week or two, don't worry about that because I will be, yeah, stuck at school. There's literally only, I think, there's two weeks in, in in April left. There is the whole month of May, so that's two plus four, which is six, plus two weeks in June, which is eight. So I still have eight weeks left of school, and I'm pretty sure that within those eight weeks, I can release, I'm hoping that I can release eight episodes. After that, it will be very consistent because I'll be on summer vacation, and I will have time to do um, whatever I need to do in order to research, um, write, and record podcasts at least one every day. So I'll be able to keep churning them out. So, let's, so after that rant, let's learn some history on the city of Birmingham and, and how it became a city today. Like all stories that um, deal with land and deal with cities, it all starts off with the Native Americans because this, this is their land and this is where they lived for centuries um, before. The Europeans came. So, the natives that lived on the land in Birmingham or on the city of Birmingham were the Chippewa, the Potawatomi, and the Ottawa. Now, each of them live on reservations today. So, the Chippewa uh, live on two reservations, and the reason that they have two is because they're the biggest. Native American um, people in the United States or in the Midwest. Sorry, in the Midwest, not the United States, in the Midwest. So the Chippewa either live on the Isabel Indian Reservation in Mount Pleasant or there's a Sault Ste. Marie uh, Reservation. And there's a reservation in St. Ignace. So there's three reservations for the Chippewa to live in in the state of Michigan. Now they can live in like other states with with um with others. It just depends on where they where they chose to live at at the time of the move when they moved. So the Potawatomi has the reservations on Dua, uh sorry, uh, Dujanac, Michigan, which is on the western side of the state, which is near like. Chicago area, and then the the third one that was in the Birmingham area is known as the Ottawa. Now, the Ottawa are located in the Traverse City area. They have several small reservations around the Grand Traverse area. That's what they call it, and I believe that the Chippewas and the... Ottawa's both run casinos I don't know I don't know about the Pottawata means but they too both of them are uh, run um run casinos the one that the Chippewas run is called uh Key Ki- casinos and then the one that's in uh Traverse City that the Ottawa run are the Turtle Creek Casino, I believe. So, if I've seen ads where on the road when I'm traveling up and down I-75, but those are the two that that have casinos, and I'm pretty sure. And I don't know about the um the Potawatomi, but I think that they also have a casino on their land. Now they are all part of a larger culture uh, known as the Algonquin. So. The Algu the Al-Guanquin was a like a confederacy where each of them have uh like separately le- like separate leaders and separate things, but they coincide with with each other and marry marry between tribes and move to new comp- camping grounds as a group every season as it changed. Now, if you're thinking about the confederacy it is something like the united states tried like the articles of confederation or like the confederate confederacy uh, states of america when the south split and renamed it sub confederacy so they so the united states have definitely tried that but it but those never worked but the native americans were able to make it work now they had a mainland route which is called the Saginaw Trail, which has, which I covered in the first episode in February. So if you haven't taken a l- listen to that, go take a listen. Um, when the Europeans came, it caused conflict. But they soon re- resolved their differences through fur trading. Um. So... And then we have the American Revolutionary War. Where the British... Uh, refused to get out of Michigan after they, the, they lost the American Revolutionary War. Um, I'm not going to get into too many details of that. Because I did cover it in the Michigan and the American Re- Revolutionary War. Which was two years ago on July 6th. Which I've been meaning to do a follow up episode. Which will be um, around July 4th time this year. So the natives signed a treaty of Detroit in 1807 which says that the natives will get paid every year and the Europeans get large pieces of land. Now, the native land, so after they signed this treaty in 1807, the native land is now the property of the United States government, which the government uh, began to survey and prepare to sell off the land in 1816. So 1816 was was close to the end of the war of 1812 now the war of 1812 i covered in a few episodes ago i don't know which one but yeah so the veterans of the war of 1812 could buy land for a dollar 25 cents per acre to settle which is around 25 dollars an acre today so four veterans took advantage of this and bought all the land the four veterans that bought up all the land was elijah wilts john hamilton john west hunter and ben pierce no relation to the president or his family but here is how it was split up uh wilts bought the land north of 15 mile or maple road east towards downtown john hamilton bought the land north of 15 mile and west of downtown John Hunter bought the land south of 15 Mile, west of downtown, and the last person, Ben, he bought the land, he's the last person to buy land, Uh, and the only land land that was available was south of 15 Mile, and east, away from downtown. So, they all had, they always had run-ins into the Native Americans, because part of the treaty Of Detroit was that the natives could settle on the land until the land was sold to European settlers. In 1822 John Hunter built the first house but that was not a log cabin. So in the past there used to be log cabins and stuff like that and John Hunter decided not to build a log cabin this time. So the house moved twice and is finally on show in the Birmingham Museum. So, Birmingham Museum is like the Troy village. So, they have separate houses, they have uh separate um um like um exhibits to show like that. So, it's part of their Birmingham Museum. But there is a plaque to represent where the first house was built. Um by 1830 the Saginaw Trail was paved and it ran adjacent to a r- railroad that was from Detroit to Pontiac. The unincorporated community of Birmingham started to grow and as it grew, it needed things like a school, which started in settler's campings, with and later became a school district. The first Presbyterian church, which met in barn, which met in barns across the um Birmingham area, uh, was led by our one and only famous person, Deacon Elijah Fish. Now, if you don't know about Deacon Elijah Fish, I would recommend you listening to the Greenwood Cemetery episode. And that's where we get the fame, where he's famous and all that stuff. So, in 1837, Michigan, Michigan was admitted as a free state. And as tensions rose, Birmingham happened to be the stop on the Underground Railroad. And the conductor... In the Birmingham area was our famous friend, Elijah Fish. Now, George Taylor was the first African-American to buy land in the area. So, that is always good to know. Who's always the first to buy land? Especially if it's African-American. And especially because it was 1837 and before the American Civil War. That he was able to buy land. Birmingham did not become a village until 1864. During the war, the Civil War, the growth in South in southern Michigan uh, came to a slow pace like it is now. Um, in this latest census, 2020, Michigan gained people, but it lost more than it gained. So because of that, we lost a representative in the House of Reps in the U.S. Congress so getting back to this after the civil war the economy started to gain momentum and by 1870 it fully recovered uh the city of birmingham was moving from an agricultural agricultural one to industrial and manufacturing one uh the saginaw trail that the natives used was renamed the saginaw turnpike and, and which is now woodward avenue or m1 by 1881 the population was 500 people, and the town included one foundry, one blacksmith and wagon shop, one copper store, one hardware store, uh, a builder, a flour mill, two drug stores, three general stores, one meat market, one dentist, one tailor, a library and a school, a post office, train station, and hotel, and four churches. Um. With this, people started to become more progressive and started improving on the uh, lives of women and children's services, public health, and any civic work they could find. The leaders of the village were facing pressure because the countryside of Birmingham, which you have to uh, remember that in the... Um, m- to early nineteen hundreds, that uh, Birmingham was the countryside, and Detroit was the booming um, epicenter of everything that was going on, and that was the city. Um, the suburbs of Detroit, the suburbs of D- Detroit, which what well, Birmingham is now, didn't come into existence until the fifties and sixties, um, or the thirties, which is going to be soon, but. In this podcast soon. But yeah. So the Birmingham was countryside. Sterling Heights was countryside. All of Troy was countryside. Uh, mostly everything now that you see in Metro De- Detroit. It was countryside. Except for the city of Detroit. Um, but um, people from middle and upper management of the auto ex- executives. Uh, started to come to um, Birmingham countryside because it was peaceful, it was nice, quiet, and they began selling there and building new subdivisions. Um, Everything that Birmingham had was overfilling and overflowing, and they were looking to expand their tax base um, by taking land from Bloomfield Township. Now, the township was becoming an annoying pain in the butt. So, do you know what voters do when 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 the government is being annoying pain in the butt? They vote in favor of changing the the official title of the of the town from a village and make it into a city, which was uh, finalized in 1933. So, during this time, people wanted to knock down older structures to build fancy new ones. But a lot of people were not in favor of it so here comes the Birmingham Historical Society, which was founded and they keep all the older structures in place and they build all the new fancy ones around it. Um, But yeah, so So, like I was saying, I hope you enjoyed the podcast on the city of Birmingham. You can listen to this wherever podcasts are found. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Am I Hidden History. Do not forget to rate and review the show on Apple. And this week's quote is, Never think that you're not good enough yourself. My belief is that in life, people will take you at your own reckoning. Isaac Asimov Thank you for listening, see you next week, and let's make Michigan history great.